Thank you, Mandy. Um, <clears throat> good evening. <laughs> it's, um, we're, what, two, three days, three, four, four days, four days away from Christmas, right? And um, so uh, is everyone ready for Christmas? You guys ready? Yeah? No? <laughs> ready. Ready or not, here it comes. Um, I know that sometimes it can get extremely busy and, uh, you know, so it's a, it's a good time to, to come midweek at any, during any season, right? And just gather ourselves before the Lord. And, uh, so this evening, uh, we are continuing through our study in the book of Numbers. Now, next Wednesday, just want to let you know, we will not be here. Um, so just a reminder, um, we're going to take that Wednesday off. And then we will resume our midweek study uh, the week after in Numbers chapter 32. Um, which, you know, I will always encourage you um, to read ahead and be familiar with what we're covering. And that way um, you get more out of it as we, we go through the study um, on that evening. And so uh, we could be doing two chapters. So make sure that you're like two chapters ahead uh, because we'll we'll sometimes cover a couple couple chapters. So this evening we're in Numbers chapter thirty one, and um, the title of this evening's message is Vengeance, Redemption, and Sanctification. So those three. So let's pray, and then we'll get into um, our study. Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, Lord just for this evening, Lord, for the opportunity to come together and study your Word. And I pray, Father, that. As we do go through this chapter, Father, that you would um, just point things out, Father, as, as, you, um, as you always desire to do in our lives, Father, that uh, no matter what's going on in our lives, uh, we know that you are, uh, your spirit comes alongside us. He is our helper, and he helps us to see things that uh, we don't always see, uh, especially if we're in the flesh, Father, and that's why your word tells us that we should... Um, we should walk in the spirit that we should um, that we would not fulfill the lust of the fl- the flesh and so father it's no different even this evening father i pray that we would not be distracted that anything that has occupied our our minds up to this point father that you would help us to um, put off to the side momentarily and uh, and if they need to be taken care of later on then then so be it but for now Lord, help us to focus on you and what it, what it is that you have for us to glean from your word and uh, to continue, uh, Lord, being sanctified by your word. And uh, so, Lord, we commit this evening into your hands and we ask your blessing and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So vengeance, redemption and sanctification. So what do these three have in common? And, um, you know, I, I, I thought about you know, just uh, just these three words, and the Lord had me just kind of like meditating on on these these three words because we're going to see them within our study. And the one thing that they, all three of them have in common is purification. It's it's the whole the whole process of purification demands all three of these. You see, vengeance is applied justice for wrong committed, right? So it's it's applied justice for something that has been committed. Um, that is in opposition or bring shame to or fall short of God's standard. Secondly, redemption is saving someone from error. And when, uh, it, when you look at redemption through the eyes of grace, um, it's also saving someone from error, but also justice, which that's not only mercy, but it's also grace, as we'll see in a few moments but then the, th- the third word is sanctification. And that is the process by which something or someone is made pure, that is free from impurities. And so to get to that process of sanctification, the prior two are necessary. And, um, and so, you know, as we see this evening, what, we'll, what we have before us is pure vengeance and pure vengeance really can only be perfectly exacted or applied by the Lord. It's very seldom that uh, we ourselves as human beings, imperfect, um, can apply uh, vengeance in a righteous manner. You know, there's, uh, we, we have seen throughout the Bible and we know that there are, there, there are times when uh, righteous indignation is applied, but that's very difficult. 
That's very difficult for you and I um, to do that. Now, right redemption is ultimately what God desires for all people. That people would be made right by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And redeemed to a right standing before the Father. I mean, that was enjoyed by Adam and Eve before the fall. And so the whole point of Jesus coming is for the, for, uh, the work of reconcilia- reconciliation and redemption to take place through him. And so that is what we have even this evening in this chapter. Sanctification. We know that that is the process by which God purifies his people. And this evening we will learn of these as the Israelites are commanded by God to take vengeance on the Midianites. So let's start out by reading the first couple verses here in chapter 31 of Numbers. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Avenge the people of Israel on the Midianites. So avenge the people of Israel on the Midianites. Afterward, you shall be gathered to your people. So this is the command that that the Lord gave to Moses to pass along to the Israelites. And, you know, the world today and even throughout the church um, would like to think that God is not a God of war. And I remember someone bringing, not, not too long ago, I mean, it was just maybe a couple weeks ago, that someone had brought that point up, that, that our God is a God of war. Um, his vengeance is perfect and righteous. There are enemies of God. Those who vehemently oppose Him and are simply seeking to destroy anyone and anything that would bring Him glory. When you really think about how it is that our God is, is a God who does not draw back, who does not hesitate to protect those who are His from destruction and guide us down the path that um, is right, um, I am so glad that we have a God who does not hold back from going straight up against our enemy. He is able, he is all-powerful, and no one can stand against him. Psalm 24, 8 says, Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. And Jeremiah ten six says, There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Now, who the Lord was telling Moses and the Israelites to come against and take vengeance on uh, were the Midianites. They were a nomadic people that were comprised of several smaller groups. And it was at this time that they found themselves within the Moabites. And um, God commanded Israel to take vengeance on the Midianites. These were the people actually who had seduced the Israelites into committing sexual immorality and idolatry. In Numbers chapter 25, verse 1, it says, While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. Uh, Now, this was not the Israelites taking it upon themselves to um, be vengeful towards the Moabites. I mean, the the Midianites. Um, It it was actually uh, quite the opposite. They never moved an inch without first having heard from the Lord and doing this very thing. They were actually called on by the Lord to take vengeance on the Midianites. They were instruments by which God was taking vengeance on the Midianites. We know that according to Scripture, there, is, there are other entities that are divinely appointed by God to do this very thing. And we actually have them among us. Uh, in Romans chapter 13, they're addressed... Romans chapter 13, verse 4 says, For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And that, that is justice among us, those who are appointed over us. And as they bring justice upon someone or a group of people, the wrongdoers, they are actually divinely appointed by the Lord. And so, in this case, in this context, the Israelites were commanded by God to take vengeance on the Midianites, and so therefore they were instruments 
that were divinely appointed by the Lord to do this very thing. Now, let's continue verse 3. So Moses spoke to the people, saying, Arm men from among you for the war, that they may go against Midian to execute the Lord's vengeance on Midian. You shall send a thousand from each of the tribes of Israel to the war. So there were provided out of the thousands of Israel, a thousand from each tribe, 12,000 armed for war. Let's stop there for a moment. Armed, locked, and loaded. <laughs> They're ready to go to war. 12,000 men, a thousand from each tribe is what, what was to be assigned. And each tribe was represented, armed, and really vested to carry out the Lord's command. There wasn't one tribe that was like, okay, so you guys go ahead and stay behind. Um, don't worry about it. We have enough men. The many nights will be taken out. Uh, no, actually, what we'll learn is that there were, there were a lot of people amongst the Midianites. They were nomadic people, but, but uh, they accumulated quite a few people. And, uh, and so we have all 12 tribes that are to participate uh, in the routing of the Midianites and completely um, giving them over to destruction. Now, what we see here is God sending his people out to battle, but, but not without them being fully equipped to engage the enemy. He didn't then, and he doesn't today. And we know that to be true according to the word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-6 through 6 makes it very clear that even though we, we do battle against those things which are spiritual in nature, that the Lord has fully equipped us for that very battle, the battles that we come in, in, uh, into in our own lives. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20 as well. The whole armor of God is what we're called to put on. If it wasn't there for us to put on, God was, wouldn't be telling us to put this, this armor on. And so we have it at our disposal. He sends us to go forth in His name and to bring Him glory, to be victorious and, and conquer, to move forward and gain ground for his, um, for his glory. So he sends his people out fully equipped and ready to engage the enemy. Verse 6, and, um, and Moses sent them to war. A thousand from each tribe together with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, with the vessels of the sanctuary and the trumpets for the alarm. In his hand, they warred against Midian as the Lord commanded Moses and killed every male. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of their slain, Evi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. And they also killed Balaam, the son of Beor, with the sword. And the people of Israel took captive the women of Midian and their little ones, and they took as plunder all their cattle, their flocks, and all their goods, all their cities and the places where they lived, and all their encampments they burned with fire, and took all the spoil and all the plunder, both of man and of beast. Then they brought the captives and the plunder and the spoil to Moses and to Eleazar the priest, and to the congregation of the people of Israel at the camp on the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. And so Moses sent them to war, to battle against the Midianites. And please notice that Moses also sent this one other gentleman, by the name of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, and the holy articles along with him. If you remember in Numbers chapter 25, Phinehas was the one who saw one of his countrymen coming back into the camp as the Israelites were weeping and mourning because of what they had given themselves into. And he came into the camp without any shame, and very arrogantly brought a Midianite woman into the camp. And Phinehas, seeing this, got up and did something about it. In Numbers chapter 25, verses 7 and 8, it says, When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. And so we're, we are reminded of the person of Phinehas, his character, the fact that he did not hesitate to get up and do something about the sin that was being done in the sight of all the people. Eliezer truly did act with righteous indignation. And he actually turned back as we 
read further in Acts 25, or in, in Numbers 25, he turned back God's wrath from the people of Israel. It was this man that Moses sent with the other 12,000 men of the tribes of Israel. So it was 12,000 and one men. I imagine a man like this among other warriors would only serve to encourage them to follow through with what the Lord had sent them to do. In full, with confidence that God was with them and he would encourage them to proceed without any reservations whatsoever. In Judges chapter 7, the Lord told Gideon to send home any man who was fearful and trembling, who was, who was afraid. Remember, he was assembling all the, the men to come together into battle. And initially, they had 32,000 men. They had a lot, a, a lot of people that had gathered together. And just at that word, when Gideon put it out, and he said, hey, anyone who's, who's, who's afraid, who's trembling, who's fearful... Turn back, go home. And he had 22,000 men go home. Just by that, just go home. Quite honestly, I'd rather have a few men who are willing to fight than a few hundred men who are more willing to run away. That would be more of a liability than it would be to have someone who would really engage the enemy shoulder to shoulder and have your back. A few valiant men will stir up others who are also willing to fight and they will encourage them to engage just that much more. Just, I mean, just gather some, some guys around you. Ladies, gather some ladies around you who are willing to engage, to move forward, encourage you, who, who are willing to stand shoulder to shoulder with you in this thing called life that God has called us to glorify Him and you will be encouraged but if you surround yourself with people who are more willing to run when confrontations come, then just know that you also will be encouraged to back down and to run away when the times are tough. And if you don't believe that, just try it. Because bad company does corrupt good morals. It just does. That's what the Bible tells us. It warns us of that. And so that's why as we look at this we are encouraged by what we have before us. One of the points of fellowship is to encourage each other to stay in the fight. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says this, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This actually implies that this fellowship is one of people who are serving the Lord. And the gathering, the fellowship, serves to stir the hearts of individuals to not grow weary of doing good, of engaging in life to God's glory. That's what it implies just in those two verses. I know sometimes we refer to those verses just to, just to come together, but there's much more to fellowship than that. Coming to, together in the name of the Lord is to encourage each other in serving Him, in continuing to glorify the Lord. It's like a warrior standing next to you. Keep going, Modesto. You can do it, right? You just keep moving forward. And you never lose heart of doing good. And so Phinehas was among the 12,000, and they struck the Midianites, killing all the men and their kings, but capturing the women and children along with all of their, their flocks and all of their possessions that they had. There was one man in particular, though, that was noted here. He was mentioned that uh, he was killed, and that was Balaam, the son of Baor. You guys rem remember who Balaam is? He was killed with a sword. Now, this man wanted, he desired to die a righteous death, but instead he died a sinner's death by way of the sword. You, you see, he wanted to to die a righteous man's death, but he didn't want to live a righteous man's life. He actually died along with the other sinners who opposed God by the end of the sword. 
You see, it was Balaam that gave the Midianites advice on how to cause the Israelites to fall. He couldn't curse the Israelites. God would not allow him to. But he did give them advice. Hey, listen, I may not be able to curse them, but he whispered in their ear and he told them exactly how it was that the Midianites could cause the Israelites to fall. And that was in Numbers chapter 31, verse 16. Send in the women and seduce them. They took his advice. The women went into the men of Israel. They committed sexual immorality and idolatry. And many died due to the plague that God sent as a judgment. Balaam was judged and was killed along with the rest of the Midianites. He was among them. They burned their encampments. The Israelites burned the the Midianites' encampments, brought the women, children, and all of the spoils of war and presented themselves to Moses. And let's continue verse 13. Moses and Eleazar the priests and all the chiefs of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp. And Moses was angry with the officers of the army, the commanders of of thousands and the commanders of hundreds who had come from service in the war. Moses said to them, Have you let all the women live? Behold, these, on Balaam's advice, caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came among the congregation of the Lord. Now therefore kill every male among the little ones, and kill every woman who has known man by lying with him. But all the young girls who have not known man by lying with him keep alive for yourselves. Encamp outside the camp seven days, Whoever of you has killed any person and whoever has touched any slain, purify yourselves and your captives on the third and on the seventh day. You shall purify every garment, every article of skin, all works of goat's hair, and every article of wood. Let's continue. Verse 21. Then Eliezer the priest said to the men in the army who had gone to battle, This is the statute of the law that the Lord has commanded Moses, only the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead. Everything that can stand the fire, you shall pass through the fire, and it shall be clean. Nevertheless, it shall also be purified with the water for impurity. And whatever cannot stand the fire, you shall pass through the water. You must wash your clothes on the seventh day, and you shall be clean. And afterward, you may come into the camp. So, Destroy the threat. Redeem what is redeemable. And cleanse yourselves. That's what the Lord had commanded through Moses for these um, soldiers to do, these warriors. Moses, at the point where they presented themselves before him with these women, children, flocks, all the possessions... He, he just could not believe his eyes. They thought they were doing good, but he couldn't, he couldn't believe their eyes. It's like, you saved the women who had lain with our men that caused the Israelites to be judged by God, and you brought them into our presence. You saved them. He, he couldn't believe it. It's like, these were the women that led us into sexual immorality and idolatry. Moses was angry with the officers of the army, the commanders, the leaders of the teams that went in. In other words, Moses was not happy with the leadership of the warriors. And so Moses commanded that all the women who had known man by lying with them to be killed, and he ordered that all the male children also be killed. You see, here's the thing, is whenever whenever the Lord sends us out, um, really the, the people who are held responsible for the actions of the whole group, the whole congregation, will be the leadership. They, they come under fire first. And, and then those individuals will all be accountable for what we say and what we do and even what we think. But there's just a higher level to which a leader is held to. And we know that to be true even in the New Testament. Uh, Not many of you should be teachers. Why? Because you're going to be held to a greater standard, a stricter standard. And and that's that's something that uh, should be expected. But this was no different. Moses held the leadership accountable 
for what he had before him. And so he commanded, he said, hey, listen, all these women that, that have, have already been with, with men, and especially our men, killed. All the male children also killed. Done. Now, that may seem harsh, but what we need to understand is that in that day and age, the culture was that they were given to, they were responsible for avenging the killing of their fathers. And so no matter what, these Midianite boys at some point would grow up and, and they were sworn to take vengeance on the deaths of their fathers. And so they themselves posed a great danger to the Israelites. You see, this is a picture of wickedness and how it is that Christians often allow what seems to be insignificant. Oh, it's just a little boy. It's just a little something. I, I can handle that. And we allow those things to remain in our lives. But what we need to understand, and we know this, and somehow we think that we can go ahead and manage that thing, that little thing. But we need to understand it only leads later to temptations, to stumblings, to falls, and straight out destruction. So it's a, it's a picture of that. And, and the Lord was saying, hey, devote it to destruction completely. Those things that would pose a danger to the congregation of God's people completely do away with them. The women. You know they already did it. The males. Do away with them completely. We shouldn't think that anything in our life, in our lives that can lead to sin is a small thing. It's not a small thing. What needs to be done is that in our lives is, is that all wickedness is to be killed, crucified. There is no rehabilitating the flesh. Um, if you go to a secular counselor, what they, they will attempt to do is to rehabilitate the flesh. Uh, that's why many times it can only go so far. You're dealing with your past. You're dealing with your present circumstances. You're, you're maybe learning to put a band-aid on all of these things when, in fact, what needs to really be done in our lives is that uh, the flesh needs to be crucified. It needs to be completely given over to death, devoted to destruction. That is the only way that we will have victory over these things. The only way. Otherwise, we keep on dragging this body of death behind us that we need to just let go of. It's a stench that overwhelms us. It's a burden that we should not be carrying. That's not for us to do that very thing. That's why in, in Luke and in the other Gospels, the Lord says, deny yourself, deny yourself, Take up your cross and follow me. That's the only way that we can really truly closely and intimately follow the Lord. Is if we deny ourselves. Please deny. Those things that we want to cling on to, deny it. It's not worth taking, taking along. Take up our cross. That's why I said, put it, put it to the cross. Kill it. Be done with it. And move on. Abiding in Christ. Now, Moses then ordered the men to stay outside the camp for seven days to purify themselves. All who had killed or touched the slain were to remain outside. Not only were they to purify themselves, but also their captives on the third and the seventh days. On the seventh day, they were to wash their clothes. Clothes washed, bodies washed, the gold, silver, bronze, iron, tin, and lead were to be purified by being put through fire and water. That all would be clean that comes into the camp of Israel. This is really important for them to do. Basically what they were doing is all of these items, all of these things were being redeemed. They're all being redeemed. There are some things that are redeemable. That which was not given to destruction needed to be set aside and purified in the set way in which the Lord had commanded 
If we don't conscientiously do this, um, those things which are not pure will be allowed to come in to the camp of the Lord among God's people. We need to conscientiously redeem those things which are redeemable. Making sure that we commit them to the Lord in a very deliberate way. For instance, music is redeemable. We know that music, uh, music, you can say wow in many different ways, right? You know the lyrics, you know what kind of activity goes along with some music that's out there. You go, you, you guys have heard of raves? You haven't? You guys should know about these things. Especially if you, if you make contact with any children, any kids, you, you should know about raves. Um, that is music that is accompanied with the whole party scene. And in many of these raves, um, or in all of them as far as I know, um, there's, there's drugs, there's sex going on, there's all kinds of things that are, that are happening at these raves. Not good, right? Music itself, though. If we were to just look at that and look at some of this, um, the, this other music that's played out there in the world, we would say, well, gosh, you know, why play music at all within the church? But music is redeemable, right? Music is that one thing that we could take and, and put some great lyrics to, praise and worship to the Lord, and use within the context of worshiping and praising God in a very pure way. But we need to be deliberate about that, about this. There are many songs today that are called Christian that are all about me, the person, and not really praising God. It's about the experience and, uh, and not about the person, the creator of the universe. It's not a, we need to del- be deliberate about these things. We need to think about the lyrics. They do matter. And so... Music is redeemable, but some must simply be done done away with in the life of the Christian. Media is redeemable, but some must simply be done away with in the life of a Christian. What would you consider to be redeemable that is in the world, and what just needs to be done away with? We need to think about these things. What poses too much of a danger within the integrity of a Christian? We need to think about these things. What are the things that have been used to lure God's people into immorality and idolatry? These things need to be given much thought. You can't just be flippant about it. Oh, you know, I'll participate in this, participate in that. It's no big deal. No, it is a big deal. It has to do with your relationship with the Lord. We need to be willing to destroy the threat and pray for godly discernment to redeem the redeemable to God's glory. Sanctification is something that God desires, but we must submit ourselves to. So, destroy that which should be given to destruction. Come to that place to where we redeem the redeemable. We are redeemable. And that's as God, through Jesus Christ, right, has redeemed us unto himself. We are redeemed in Him. But then there's the work of sanctification. But sanctification is something that God desires, but we must submit ourselves to. It doesn't come without our willingness to place ourselves under the working hand of the Lord. It just doesn't. It it doesn't automatically happen. Like, okay, I've I've prayed. I've asked the Lord to be uh, my Lord, my Savior. And so now sanctification is just going to happen. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't. God washes us and he sanctifies us with the washing of water by what? By the word. By the word. That's why it's important every day. Be in the word. I don't fully understand. It doesn't matter. Ask the spirit to give you understanding. At some point, you'll start to get it. Your eyes will be open. You see, God desires for you to know him. And he lays out the whole of Scripture, that you may come to know Him. Know His character, who He is, how much He loves you. 
He gives you direction. He gives you wisdom. That which applies to your circumstances, these, these uh, things that you come up against in life. He gives you the answers to all of these things through His Word. Jesus, as He was praying to the Father, said this in John seventeen seventeen, Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. So, we destroy what should be destroyed. We redeem what is redeemable and sanctify that which is possessed in order to submit it to the glory of God. Let's continue in verse 25. The Lord said to Moses, Take the account of the plunder that was taken both of man and of beast, you and Eliezer the priest and the heads of the fathers' houses of the congregation, and divide the plunder into two parts between the warriors who went out to battle and all the congregation. And levy for the Lord a tribute from the men of war who went out to battle, one out of five hundred of the people and of the oxen and of the donkeys and of the flocks. Take it from their half and give it to Eliezer the priest as a contribution to the Lord. And from the people of Israel's half, you shall take one drawn out of every fifty of the people, of the oxen, of the donkeys, and of the flocks, of all the cattle, and give them to the Levites who keep guard over the tabernacle of the Lord." And Moses and Eliezer the priests did as the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 32. Now the plunder remaining of the spoil that the army took was 675,000 sheep, 72,000 cattle, 61,000 donkeys, and 32,000 persons in all, women who had not known man by lying with him. And the half, the portion of those who had gone out in the army, numbered 337,500 sheep. And the Lord's tribute of the sheep was 675. The cattle were 36,000, of which the Lord's tribute was 72. The donkeys were 30,500, of which the Lord's tribute was 61. The persons were 16,000, of which the Lord's tribute was 32 persons. And Moses gave the tribute, which was the contribution for the Lord to Eliezer, the priest, as the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 42. From the people of Israel's half, which Moses separated from that of the men who had served in the army, now the congregation's half was 337,500 sheep, 36,000 cattle, cattle, and 30,500 donkeys, and 16,000 persons. From the people of Israel's half, Moses took one of every 50, both of persons and of beasts, and gave them to the Levites, who kept guard over the tabernacle of the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. So, basically, this is the, the accounting, the accounting of all of the, the plunder. Everything was divided among all the people who went to war. Now, normally, it, was, it, it, was, it belonged to those who had done the work, who had gone out there and um, warred against um, these people. And they took the spoils of war, and, and normally in that time, it was theirs. But the Lord wanted to make sure that they, they weren't doing it that that wasn't the point they were doing it to be obedient to the lord to go and take take vengeance upon the people as instruments of vengeance but they were out there by the hand of the lord and so the lord wanted to make sure hey listen all of this is to be distributed among all of the tribes not just the men who went to war and by the way There's also a portion that is to be given over to the Lord and stewarded by the Levitical priesthood, handled by Eliezer and the Levitical priesthood. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 24, it says, Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And so... What we know by that is that the person who contributes to the work of the Lord in prayer and in financial contribution to support, to make sure that everything is taken care of back home, actually joins in the heavenly treasure that is one, that comes through the actions of those who are sent out. Uh, It's much the same today as there are those who are able to go out and do the work of the Lord in certain areas, um, whether it be missions or outreaches or things like that, not everyone can go. And we understand that. The body is designed in such a way by the Lord that everyone 
actually participates by prayer, by financial contribution, and by simply staying behind and taking care of home base. That we all take part in, in the fruits of the labor, labors of the church as a whole. And that's what we see here. It's, it's a beautiful display um, of simply taking care of everyone in God's family. Everyone, yeah, every, so everyone's the beneficiary of the plunder. Um, every single one of God's people is what we see there. And so that's all the details are there, though. I know there are a, a lot of numbers, so we have details. And, and that's also one of the things is we serve a God of order. And uh, we know that he is interested in the details. I know sometimes we can go into ministry and kind of go, well, you know, whatever happens, happens. You know, we'll just go by the leading of the Spirit. Well, if you're truly going by the leading of the Spirit, uh, there, God, is, God is organized and he's, he, he wants things to be done in, in order. It's not just coming together and it's like, okay, so can you imagine? It's like, you guys want to take the chairs and put them wherever you want? You know, you guys want to sit over back there, you know, grab your chairs and do the, I mean, the place would be a disaster, right? It would be a disaster. And, and even the organization, the leadership within the church, it's not just whatever. It it has to be well taken care of. Um, no, God is a God of order, and we see it in the details, even of the tabernacle. You remember how it was that he was he was giving the command, hey, listen, this is how things are, are to be done, and this is the reason why they're to be done in, in this way. The utensils are to be purified, and they're to be set aside, consecrated unto the Lord. Not, for, not to be used for anything else. There's just certain things that God is interested in, the details of serving Him. And so we see that. It's no different here as we see these details worked out and we see how it is that the warriors came and presented themselves before Moses, the, the leaders, the commanders, and said, here it is. Here's, here's everything. Everything is before us. Just as the Lord had commanded but then we see here, in the final portion of this chapter, a testimony of God's power and faithfulness. Verse 48, Then the officers who were over the thousands of the army, the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds, came near to Moses and said to Moses, Your servants have counted the men of war who are under our command, and there is not a man missing from us. And we have brought the Lord's offering... What each man found, articles of gold, armlets and bracelets, signet rings, earrings and beads to make atonement for ourselves before the Lord. And Moses and Eliezer the priest received from them the gold, all crafted articles, and all the gold of the contribution that they presented to the Lord from the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds was 16,750 shekels, the men in the army had each taken plunder for himself. And Moses and Eliezer the priest received the gold from the commanders of thousands and of hundreds and brought it into the tent of meeting as a memorial for the people of Israel before the Lord. It's a testimony of God's power and his faithfulness. We have the officers here reporting to Moses was all that they took account of and presented much of the gold as a memorial from the people before the Lord. They brought it into the tent of meeting on behalf of the people. Presented all of this before the Lord. This is all, this is all yours, Lord. This was of great value. 16,000, what was it? 16,750 shekels. That is a great amount of gold. It's no small amount. It was of great value. It was a sacrifice of thanksgiving, giving glory to the Lord. That which was of great value was brought before the Lord with thanksgiving. And with that, as we saw pointed out here, not one man was unaccounted for. If, if you can believe that, I, I don't know if you can go into a skirmish like that and have 12,000 men with that many in opposition, the Midianites, 
and not have one person, not one person missing, not one. All men were accounted for. That is absolutely amazing. And I'd have to say that it was 12,001, right? Eliezer came back too. He wasn't lost either. And all of this happened before they were, they were even in the promised land. They were still on this side of the Jordan. They hadn't crossed over. And, and the Lord was showing his faithfulness, his power. It's like this is the new generation. The old generation, the faithless generation was gone. All of them were gone. And here was the new generation. And God again and still was showing his faithfulness, his trustworthiness, his power, his sovereignty to his people. And I have no doubt that this had to be a a source of encouragement for them. Here we are preparing to go into the promised land. And we're going to meet up with great opposition. But here we have this great victory being used simply as instruments of vengeance upon the Midianites for the Lord. But he's the one that's calling us into the promised land. It all served as a testimony of God's power and his faithfulness to his people. God does not send his people to do something they are not equipped for. God does not send his people to do something that they are not able to gain victory over either. God doesn't. God isn't a God who says, go ahead and go in. I'm not sure if you'll win. I'm not sure if you're even fully equipped. But hey, we'll give it a go. Right? Go, go for it. Who knows? Right? Imagine, our, our God doesn't do that. Now, if we go in on our own, we're on our own. Right? But when God sends us, He sends us fully equipped. And He sends us in to have victory. Not to go in and be losers. Not, go, not to go in and and come back with our tails between our legs. That's why when God calls us to do something, do it all the way. Don't stop in the middle, because God has called you to complete that which He has sent you to go do. Do it. And do it fully. Unto the glory of God. That's what He demonstrated here. This was evidence of his power. This was evidence of his faithfulness. And they were all gathered together, presenting to the Lord the spoils of war, giving glory to the Lord with all thanksgiving. In closing, what do you have in your life that you would say it was because of the Lord? Would you present it as evidence of God's power and faithfulness to His glory. You know, it's like when you count your blessings, right? You've heard that um, said, you know, count your blessings. But it, it's more than just, okay, so I'm thankful for this, I'm thankful for that. It's like, go like into a time of prayer, of seeking the Lord. Ask Him to reveal those things that, man, if God wasn't with you, you wouldn't know what you would do. He was so faithful, he brought me through, and he did above and beyond whatever what I could ever think or imagine. It was just it was just amazing. It was just awesome. God, I come to you and I give you all the glory and I give you thanks for all for everything that you've done through that and this and that. And then you'll start remembering things and, and it's all just glory to you, God. What does he have you right now in? What has he sent you out to? And I tell you, don't don't draw your hand back. Keep your hand to the plow and keep moving forward. Because he wants you to be victorious in whatever he it is that he has sent you out to do. There's much to be thankful for, and I'm sure you'd agree with me that there's much to be thankful for, starting with our salvation. We should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean that we're 
we're earning our salvation. That, that just means we've been saved. We should be thankful for it. And respond to that gift that God has given us by submitting ourselves to the Lord in His service. Whatever you want, Lord, I'm here for you. That should be a proper response. Everything else in our lives, by the way, is just icing on the cake. That's all it is. A little more. If you've been faithful in the little things, he'll give you a little more. He'll entrust. But it's not for you. For you. It, it, it's so that you will be blessed by it. Bless others. Glorify the Lord. That's why he gives you a little more. May you consider those things God has done for you and glorify him with a thankful heart. Father, there is so much to be thankful for. We thank you, Lord, as a lesson before us is that which is to be given to destruction in our lives. Father, I pray that we would not think twice. We would not think too little of the things that could bring us into a place of temptation, of sin, of falling into a place of destruction in our lives, of of anything, Lord, that would shame you. I pray, Lord, that we would be conscientious and deliberate about redeeming those things which are redeemable. Lord, to not insist on our liberties and allow them to be a stumbling block for others to trip up on. But that we would truly deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow you. And finally, I pray that we would submit to the sanctifying work that you desire in our lives through your word, through fellowship, through prayer, and serving you. And so, Father, we just look to you. Fill us with your spirit and help us to abide in Christ, blessing you and glorifying you in everything that has to do with our lives. We thank you and we pray that you would help us. In Jesus' name, amen.